If you are married for the second time, what wisdom and learning have you taken from your first marriage into the second? Today's guests, Karen and Tom Schwab, founders of Interview Valet, share some of their story and the lessons they've both learned about making marriage work, working together, and raising miniature donkeys? The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. You can get through this without coughing up a lung or anything else. All right, welcome to the show. This is episode 137, where Danielle and Justin, your hosts of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. And our summer adventures have led us us depleted to the point of coughing and hacking and strange sounding voices well, and all that, which that, is great when you run a podcast. Right? I know. Remember that Friends episode where Phoebe had that super sexy voice? Oh, yeah. And then you she, like my sexy voice. I do, except for when you're hacking up mucus. That's kind of gross. You are starting to develop Nana voice a little bit. What do you mean? That's my grandma. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're like, there are moments when is I hear your grandma. Is this a compliment? No. <clears throat> it's neither a compliment nor, nor a... Insult. Insult. It's just, it's just, it's kind of weird. Thank you. Like every now and then I'll hear this. You like, you you get it. Your voice gets to that pitch. That's Nana verbally. And I feel like I'm rolling my eyes in some capacity because I know there's, you are rolling your eyes. I'm sitting here watching you roll your eyes. What do you mean you feel like you are? Well, I thought I was doing it in my head, but apparently I was doing it. It's interesting. Like, like some people are listening right now and going, oh my gosh, I can't believe he just, told her she has Nana voice. Um, He's going to get killed after this. He might. And and <laughs> like here's the thing, one of the things that we talk about with clients a lot is getting to the place where you can speak truth, That's where you can true. share things like that, where you can you can look across the room and go, "Babe, I need you to go work out tomorrow because you're driving me nuts. You have like lazy brain." And, it's very and true. I need more of you. This was something that happened, what, yesterday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're just better when you work out. So so go work out tomorrow. Yeah, Because after true. four weeks of vacation and everything, we... we and my defensiveness wants to go, what, you think I'm fat? But I'm like, no, he's just saying that he wants more of me yeah. and not my lazy brain. So Don't try this I at home. get it. Don't try this at home until you've, you know, gone through some of our stuff. Like, <laughs> like our tribe, right? That's right. We have this amazing program called Tribe. It's $27 a month. It's all the communication skills and live coaching calls every week and a powerful community of couples who are there to support you as you're learning how to communicate better and uh, create a shared vision for your relationship and everything. Uh, You can check it out at legendarymarriage.com slash tribe. Uh, Didn't really plan to 
to mention that at this moment. I know, but you know what? We are so like into the community thing. I feel like yeah. we've had withdrawal since we've gotten back from vacation, <laughs> like our friend withdrawal. Yeah. Because um, you know what? You Actually, particularly. Yeah, me particularly. It's kind of funny. Like we get back from this vacation and then a couple days later, I'm like, okay, I got to do girls night. And then you're like, okay, let's go camping again. <laughs> we, we have these very strange reactions to like acclimating back into the real world like yeah. we went camping you can't for a night. go from like three and a half weeks of just day after day fun and adventure to back, to, back to the house just okay life it goes on <laughs> like you gotta you gotta pick up at five o'clock on a random wednesday and just head out camping and then because um you feel like it you go to leave camping and you freaked me out because you said i don't ever want to go camping I again i didn't say that that's not what i said well you freaked me out because there was a lot of you work. need to go through our core communications course there in was, the tribe there was a lot of and distinct just create a distinction between what i say and what you hear there was a lot of work involved in packing up the camping trip. Yeah. And I was doing other things to help, like getting the girls ready and taking them to the bathroom for the 500th time and some <laughs> other things. <laughs> and I think the uh, problem was just that we were not communicating yeah. intentionally about, you know, I want you to do this and I oh want you gosh, to do yeah. that. So um, we were left kind of with a bad taste in our mouth because we were not communicating very well in the pack up of the camping. Yeah. Yeah. I blame it's just lazy brains. I blame both of us. It's summertime. It's summertime. We love summertime. When did the kids go back to school? Uh, ha, ha, ha. I don't know. I think it's like in a few weeks, though. But well, we're super excited. Either way, either yeah, way. We've, got, we've still got some fun stuff going on this summer. And uh, you can catch us. Follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at Legendary Marriages. We're posting some fun stuff there as well as some great valuable content to uh, help you build a legendary marriage. All right. So today we have a conversation with Karen and Tom Schwab, who are, they're just going to share the wisdom that they um, kind of learned from their first marriages. And now they have a mixed family with kids and grandkids. And like you said, a mini- miniature donkeys that, uh, yeah. that were kind of an impulse I, There was no by. way to work that in seamlessly to that teaser. I know. Like, like... You just got to throw it in there. Yeah. All right. So let's get to our conversation with Karen and Tom Schwab. We are so happy to have Tom and Karen Schwab on the show. They actually have an amazing service called Interview Valet that I'm not going to lie. We have used quite a few times. They book amazing podcast guests on podcasts. What an amazing... somehow a conversation with Karen turned into, hey, let's have you and Tom on our podcast. I know. Isn't that amazing? And Tom actually was just telling us how he's been on over like 1,200 podcasts before, which is... 1,200? That's a lot of hours. I got to figure out what you were were talking about 1,200 times. Oh my gosh. He must have this down to a science. Tom is going to have the perfect interview. So let's all uh, raise that bar pretty high. You guys, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. No pressure, Tom. Karen, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) This is like my third time, so I'm an old pro. Oh, well, it's good. She's a pro too. Yeah, I know. She is a pro too. But man, we just love that service interview valet because it's kind of like we just kick back and they just send people to us that are amazing. And they're like, oh, I think these people would be good on your show. And we don't have to 
hunt down anybody or anything yeah. like that. It's pretty awesome. It's just kind of fell across our path. We're like, interview valet. That's amazing. Yes, please. More, more. <laughs> um, okay, so you guys, your stories. So where did y'all grow up? I grew up in Lancaster, PA, Pennsylvania, and moved to Michigan about 20, about 18 years ago. Okay, and so the question, the immediate question. About no, wait, wait, let me ask you first. Is, let me ask you first. Steelers or Eagles fan? Well, I'm not really a, a fan of either, but I would have to go with Steelers. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. The interview can proceed. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> my mother and her family grew up right outside of Pittsburgh. So we were, she always says, like, we were born black you know having bleeding black and gold and you had no <laughs> choice about really it. gross yeah that does sound gross <laughs> anyway all right and how about you tom where'd you grow up uh well karen would say i haven't grown up yet but i was born and raised in the uh, chicago suburbs about 40 miles west of chicago a uh, place called fox valley oh my gosh oh, wow. okay so tom did you have siblings did you I, did have, I, I had them and still have them. When oh, I was good. growing up, I had one older sister and two younger sisters, but somehow now three younger sisters, they swear to all the nieces and nephews that I'm the oldest. And uh, as they look at pictures of us when we were kids and they'll say, well, how come Aunt Peggy is taller than Uncle Tom? And they're like, well, Uncle Tom was just very small for his age. So they <laughs> lie together that I'm the oldest. And hey, if that's, if that's the worst thing it, uh, that happens, that's great. Okay, so you were the only boy with all girls. So were you like the, the brother that had to like, you know, scrutinize the dates and, you know, all that kind of thing? What, what was it like being the only boy in the family? I got out of doing the dishes, working inside. Uh, it was very traditional uh, family, uh, but that meant that I had to do all of the outside chores. And yeah, I was um, uh, overprotectors, protective of my sisters, uh, especially once I came, uh, went to the military and came back. Um, I would, uh, I've intimidated a lot of boyfriends, or at least I thought I intimidated them. <laughs> so you served in the military. What, what branch? Yeah, so I uh, I was lucky enough to go to the U.S. Naval Academy. So thank you for paying for my college education. And sure. it was great because I'd never been more than, oh, probably 100 miles away from my home. And then uh, at 17 years old, went to the academy, uh, came back a year later and been around the world. Wow. Wow. Okay, so is the Naval Academy, isn't that super hard to get into? They say it's super hard to get into. That's my God story. It was my senior year before they figured out that I wasn't physically qualified. I was born without depth perception. So I see 2D. Some people wow. may say I'm shallow. I just say that I don't uh, see in depth. Uh. But with that, um, it was, wasn't until my senior year that they found out it was on the records and everything. But uh, by that time, uh, uh, they gave me a, a waiver and I was able to uh, be a nuclear power officer on an aircraft carrier. Whoa. So I'm wondering about the depth perception thing. How does that change your life? I don't think I've ever heard of anybody that yeah. has that before. That's very unique. It's like one of those things where if you've never known the difference, so when somebody's colorblind, they don't know the difference. And for me, um, it's just what I got used to. I, I came out really quickly that I wasn't good at some sports. 
baseball was not really good. Uh, yeah. Basketball, there was a lot of shots that were either 10 feet too short or over the over the uh, backboard. But it's funny, you learn to compensate. Like I, I've taught all of the kids how to parallel park for their driver's test. You only do it late in the afternoon on a sunny day so you can uh, see the shadows of where everything oh. is. But the same thing is like if it's cloudy or raining or um, at night, I just don't parallel park. How often do we have to parallel park? Well, maybe if you grew up in Chicago, it well, might yeah, be an issue. <laughs> but otherwise, I don't uh, know. We, we aren't urban dwellers. so I don't know, but I can parallel park like a crazy person. I am awesome yeah, at parallel parking. just keep telling yourself that, honey. Anyway, so Karen, yeah. how about you, your story growing up? Oh, I was the baby. <laughs> so I was <laughs> definitely a little bit more on the spoiled side compared to my siblings. I have an older brother and sister. What were your parents like? Oh, they were fun. <laughs> I thought they were mean as a kid, of course, but, yeah. um, you know, they were, it was a average family, hardworking, go to school, go to church, work, play, have fun, you know, just basic, uh, family, similar to Tom's family, actually. In fact, when I first met Tom, he really reminded me of my brother, which was a good thing. Cause I, you know, we weren't dating. I just met him and I thought, Oh, he's a nice guy. Like my brother. All right. That's a little awkward though. Like yeah. you want to date the guy that looks like your brother. No, he didn't look like him. He just oh, he reminded like me of him. Just uh. Okay, so now that you know each other better, are, are they alike? Yeah, I think they, they still are pretty similar. They get along really well. They're about the same age. <laughs> so, Oh my gosh. Okay, so here's, here's a thought. So Tom, you went into the military. When you came back, you said you had scared a lot of the boyfriends and things like that. How do you think life on a military base or and on a, on a ship changed you um, yeah. when you came back into civilian life? I would say it sort of programs you, right? And the longer you're in there, it's more like the more institutionalized you are with that. Um, so um, looking and your when your entire world more or less sees something from the same perspective, so most of the people in the military see things as a similar way. Um, it was weird to, to come back after that um, into the civilian world. And that took some getting used to. I mean, even to the point, uh, the first company that I worked for after I got out of the military, they uh, hired. The joke was is uh, that we came and we only worked half days and we thought we were getting away with something and they were thrilled to have us work 12 hours a day. Yeah. Um, Geez, so they really got you to be a hard worker is what you're Cor saying. <laughs> correct. I mean, uh, when you were aboard ship, uh, you worked 24 hours a day. When you were in port, you only had to work half days. So 12 hours a day. So it was just a different work ethic, um, different language. So it took a while to, to, to get back in the swing of things. Oh my gosh. So you were in the nuclear program, you said. So how do you go from... Like, did you ever go back to kind of that nuclear, what is that called? Nuclear scientist? Did you ever bring that with you back into the real world or was that just your military? Well, thanks for saying nuclear scientist because everybody else was thinking Homer Simpson. Oh, no. whoa. 
No, in fact, um, we said we weren't going to bring it up. (laughs) No, in fact, uh, it was funny after not not funny, but uh, I can always remember after 9-11. And my daughter asked me, Daddy, are you going to have to go back in the military? And by that time, I had been out nine years. And I'm like, no, honey, um, they don't let you go back and and run nuclear power plants after a nine year vacation. So, <laughs> but no, I really never had a, a desire to go into the nuclear power field. Um, I loved what I did there, uh, but the nuclear power field on the indu- or in the civilian side, I mean, they haven't built a new reactor since Three Mile Island in the 70s. So yeah. I looked at that and thought, uh, I, I really don't want to get into a dying industry. Uh, I loved what it taught me, how to use systems and processes. Um, but uh, to me, it was a stepping stone to do other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. So I want to know, so you went off to the military. So how did y'all meet in the, in the first place? Oh gosh. Well, um, we, we are actually a blended family. So this is our second marriage for both. So we met much later in life, probably what 15 years ago, 15 years Yeah, and going on 11 years of marriage. So that's good. But we met in a marathon training group. Oh, okay. We trained for a marathon together all winter long. Did you you run the marathon? Yes, we did. (laughs) We did. It's like we we keep talking about doing a 5K or like a Tough Mudder or something like that. And, And then when it comes time to like click the button to register, you know, we conveniently don't have to go do something else. (laughs) Oh, you should do it. So are you guys still runners? Yes. Karen, wow. Karen runs a lot more than I do. She's done 28 <laughs> marathons now. Like 23. 23 yeah, marathons 20. and a sprint triathlon. Um, I, I don't run nearly as much. I, just, I say I don't have as many issues to run through, which is probably a lie, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, running. I went for a there. run this morning. Was it, it therapeutic? It I mean, can you imagine how bad this morning would have been had I not? Oh my gosh. Yeah. We had a, we had a little bit of a rough morning, but maybe you need to run a little bit after we get off this podcast interview. What do you think, honey? We'll see. (laughs) Got a few more issues to uh, iron out there. Okay. So I want to know, how did you know, Karen, how did you know Tom was going to be the right guy for you? Um, wow, geez. It, it took some time. It wasn't on the first meeting, of course. It's like I said, he reminded me of my brother. So I just thought he was a really nice guy. And I'd say it was just, you know, running all those miles together week after week. And you keep like showing up um, in running clothes and it's really cold. You're covered up with you know, hats and gloves and like all that stuff. So it's not like you're really um, seeing each other at your best. And uh, when you run so many miles together, you really kind of get worn down and lose your filters. So if someone asks you a question, you just answer it. And it's, you know, it is what it is. So I felt like we weren't, um, you know, it's different if you just have coffee with someone and you you make sure you say all the right things and you, you know, you're always making yourself look. Isn't that interesting? Yes. You're coming across your best fairy tale like has people going through some kind of ordeal running training for a marathon or, you know, trying to take down the bad guys or whatever it is. I've never seen one of the couple meets has a, has a cup of coffee and then lives happily ever after. No, I, I love, I love what you said there about just like your filter is down yeah. because right. you're just raw. You're like, okay, I'm sweating out my last bit of breakfast and you know, this is just what I got here. What I got is what I got. 
Exactly. Yeah. So it was really just through that whole process of week after week after week for many months, just, you know, having those raw conversations. And there were other people with us too. It wasn't just the two of us, but we just connected from there and yeah, went from there. It's all good stuff. Were you thinking like, okay, this guy has got some longevity too, because he's like sticking to it. Because I could imagine if I joined a marathon training group, that there's probably a few people, maybe including myself, that may drop, off, yeah. <laughs> maybe drop <laughs> off after a first few weeks. Right. Yeah, many people do. So that's that's not uncommon. But yeah, he stuck with it. And I was glad he did. Tom was wanting to quit, but he was like, ooh, who's that cute girl? I'm going to keep <laughs> running. Honestly, on that, for the first, I'd say, few months, I, I, I call it the runner's burqa. <laughs> right. So it was a Saturday morning in in Michigan. Um, I saw her from about her nose to her eyebrows. Um, yeah. Besides that, everything else was was covered up. So we got to know each other um, as uh, as friends first. And I can still remember first time coming over to her house. Uh, we we're going to do a long run and a group of us were meeting at her house. And I knocked at the door and this cute, really cute girl answered. And um, she sounded just like Karen. And at first I had to do a little bit of a double take uh, on that because it was it was the first time I'd really seen her. You know, she had just gotten home from work. So she had the makeup on, the hair, all the rest of that. It's like, this does not look like the same person that I run with. And she thought yeah. the same thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So you guys, um, you said you're both on your second marriages. Was there any apprehension about like, man, I don't know if I want to get married again. Like, am I really going to do this whole deal again? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, there was, especially with blending families. Tom had two older kids. I had two younger kids. It wasn't necessarily that it was tough that we didn't know if we wanted to be together. It was just, was it going to work? You know, second yeah. marriages are more likely to end in divorce and all that. So I didn't want to do it if it wasn't going to be done right. If it wasn't going to, you know, if I wasn't sure, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I guess we just figured it out as we went. And for me, it was really, you know, um, I didn't want a good marriage. Um, I I wanted a great marriage, a legendary marriage. And on that, and I think I really struggled um, with it for about a year. Um, I knew I wanted to marry her, but I didn't know if I could be the husband that her and her daughters needed. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a great husband in the first marriage and, uh, thought about that, uh, prayed a lot on it and, uh, got some clarity and, uh, just knew in my heart that, uh, um, with God, all things are possible and that on my own, I couldn't do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I, if I, if I turned to God and tried the best I could, uh, that I could be that, that person for her and the girls. Yeah. I feel like that takes a lot of courage to be able to step up to that. And like you're saying, there's a lot of unknowns, like, are the kids going to get along? You know, it, you know, how's this step parent thing going to work? Um, I'm wondering, you said like you thought in the first marriage, Tom, that you thought maybe, you know, I didn't do the best job. Um, what were some of the learnings that both, both of you had, like from your first marriage that you're like, okay, I'm going to continue doing this, or maybe I won't do this or, um, this is what's going to be different the next time. Well, that's a great question. I think the the best thing that I learned to do early on was realize that Tom was not 
my ex-husband. He's yeah. a whole different person. So if he said something and I um, chose to take it a certain way, that was on me. You know, I needed to figure out, is that what he meant? You know, did he mean to be, uh, you know, what, was he trying to be rude? No, he wasn't trying to be rude. He just said something and it was just my... Um, my insecurities or my past that might have thought, oh, this feels like that. So it must be what he meant. So you kind of had to just, or for me anyway, I needed to let go of that and just appreciate Tom for who he was and just focus on what his intentions were. And once I really understood and trusted what his intentions were, then I never compared him to anything, you know, anything else after that. That's so good. I feel like that's that's something that comes up, yeah. you know, for us yeah. and in any marriage too, is like you have this trigger that's been hit that reminds you of something in the past and it may have nothing to do with the person that's in front of you. It's just, you know, that either, you know, you got to go for the jugular or you got to protect <laughs> yourself or, you know, like all these triggers hit and you're like, you, you almost have to do a self-check is like, is this a real thing? Like you're saying, Karen, like, is this a real thing? Or is this just reminding me of that other situation? Right, right. That was, a, it's a hard thing to get through and push through because it's so easy to just rely on your feelings. I'm like, oh, like I said, yeah. it's, I'm triggered and this is how I'm feeling. Therefore it must be so, but it's really not fair to the other person if you do that. Yeah. And, and I think we're, you're right. We're, and we're conditioned to kind of go, you triggered me, you fix me. <laughs> right? It's your fault that I'm triggered. And, right. and that's just not quite the truth. And I love Karen, what you're saying, like, you don't, your emotions are not always true. Like, right. and I think, um, depending on the type of personality that you are, you can really 100% trust your emotions to be like, it's almost like it's equal to facts or something like that. Like your emotions are the same as facts. And in reality, it's not true. Like you said, it could be a triggering situation and you're like, this emotion isn't really true. So yeah. I don't know that that can be tricky to me. Like for me, I'm a, like, if you study the Enneagram, I'm a gut, I'm in the gut triad. And that means <laughs> I, I just go with my gut. Like if my gut tells me it's bad, it's bad. Mm -hmm. No matter what type of logic, you know, disputes that. What do yeah. you think, honey? Do emotions lie to you? No. <laughs> Not at all. Um, so, Tom, how about you? What were some of those learnings that you had that kind of carried over into your marriage with Karen? Well, it's like... Uh... If you don't learn from your mistakes, you'll just repeat them. Another day I heard one that uh, said it's okay to make... If you make the mistake one time... Um, that means you're humid. If you make it twice, that means you're stupid. And so I didn't want to be stupid again. And so for me, it was in my first marriage, um, I thought that it was all about being a provider, right? So if I provide for the family financially, shouldn't that be enough? And it's like, well, there's other things to being a provider, about being a provider um, uh, spiritually, being a provider emotionally, being there. Um, it's not just, as we used to call it in the Navy, a direct deposit dad. Um, and so really, I, I had to focus on that. And one of the things that even I looked back, um, some of the best times that I ever had with my kids in the first marriage um, was from experiences, relationships, fun things we did. And 
most of the time they were the cheapest things. They don't remember the big vacations. It was always yeah. the camping vacation. And, uh, you know, when it rained and, and that's where the memories were. Uh, so I looked at that and really tried to focus more on the, the relationships and being a provider in all ways. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. interesting. I didn't even know that that was a, um, a coin term, like a direct deposit dad. Is that something that comes out of the military or is that just, I'm oblivious to that? Uh, you're just oblivious. Oh. That's, it, it's one that we would talk about because it was so weird. If you've been um, deployed for six months, now, granted, with technology, it's a little bit different now where you can, you know, FaceTime your kids, you can um, uh, talk with them. Uh, but back in the day, it was writing a letter. And so for six months, maybe nine months, um, the only interaction you had with them might be through pictures or through letters. And yeah. it was really tough. You'd, you'd walk home and the kids, little kids would walk right by you and say, mom, can I go outside and play? And I'd be like, well, what about me? You can ask me. And it took a while, you know, even for the yeah. mom to say, well, you can ask dad. But from their standpoint, uh, you know, they were uh, three years old, four years old. Um, who was I uh, yeah. to that? It was just uh, like a new person that came back into the house. Oh, how did that, how did that hit you when, you know, the kids are, it's, it almost sounds like you were kind of like invisible to them or something. Um, it's almost like, um, uh, somebody taking your manhood away, right? That you're standing there you think you're the, the father, the man of the house and, uh, the kids don't view you as that. And, you know, I don't blame them. It's just the way it's set up, but it can be hurtful. It can set up a lot of arguments. And that's one of the things that we were warned about, uh, you know, that you've got to work back slowly into that, into that relationship um, from that standpoint. And I think it's even, even now, you know, if you're, um, if things change in the relationship, um, you've got to be open, uh, to openly discussing how that makes you feel. And, uh, you know, the way we've got grandchildren and, uh, you know, of how, how we want to be intentionally with them and what we say, what we don't say, uh, what decisions we make or what decisions we'll defer, uh, to their parents. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm wondering, like Karen, you said, like you kind of took stock when you guys decided to get married and you're like, okay, are we, you know, we're going to be step parents. Like your kids are older. My kids are younger. Like, how are we going to mix these two families? Like what were some of the like worst case scenario things that were playing out in your head? Like, oh my gosh, what if such and such happens? Well, <laughs> I'd say we probably started out in the worst case scenario. Um, I Tom had a relationship with my kids. I didn't have any with his kids. So it was, um, you know, it was kind of that like, well, this is where we are now. Is it always going to be this way? Am I going to be this wedge between you and your kids? You know, I didn't want to be that. Um, you know, those types of things. But um, how old were your kids when y'all got together? So uh, now I got to do the math. Yeah. I they were teenagers, so yeah. uh, 16 and 13. Yeah, mine were like, what, 11 and... Oh, no, more like... Well, when we first started dating, they were more like five and seven. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, they were young, and my, mm -hmm. my kids were um, just... They weren't going through those terrible teenage years, <laughs> so they were a lot more pleasant to be around and to to be able to interact with, and they pretty much would go along with anything. So um, I'd say with the older kids, it was more of a challenge to 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 do that and to connect. But um, 
you know, it, it just took time. And I think as they got older and matured, and then especially once they saw us in action together, it was like, oh, like she's really good for dad, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think then it, it softened their hearts towards me like, oh, well, he still likes her. <laughs> she Things must be going pretty well. Maybe we'll give her a shot. And then of course, once grandkids came along, that changed everything. And, and now it's, it's, a thousand times better than I ever would have hoped for. Hey there, it's Danielle and Justin. We'll get back to this week's show in just a moment, but we are super excited to share a brand new opportunity for you to invest in your marriage. I mean, you've got a good life, great kids, a nice job, a nice house, but you find yourself stuck in the roommate zone. Dun, dun, dun. You know the roommate zone, right? Oh, yeah. It's that place where you're wrapped up in the business of life and the busyness and missing real intimacy and connection. It's a lousy place to be. And eventually it leads to a crisis. And the truth is, isolation, that's the enemy. Every couple struggles sometimes, and we all need the coaching, resources, and community to come around and support us. Now, we realize not everyone can afford personal coaching or counseling. And so we wanted to make it super easy for everyone to be able to invest consistently in their marriage and get the coaching and the resources and the support they need and have some fun along the way. Of course, that's why we've created Legendary Marriage Tribe. You can get transformational life coaching, awesome online training and resources, and of course, a powerful community that will support and encourage you. So if you're ready to transform your marriage and your family forever, find out more over at legendarymarriage.com slash tribe. Now back to the show. A couple of years ago at Christmas, we were talking about, well, you know, what are we going to do for Christmas? Because, you know, people go into different places, boyfriends, girlfriends, and all of a sudden, uh, daughter number one and daughter number three came and said, well, this is what we're doing. We've already figured it out. And it's like, you know, so the, the two sisters had pretty much figured it out, all the schedules and told us, and we're like, that is great. They, you know, they're working as a family there. But, uh, uh, I can remember, um, early on after we, uh, announced that we were going to get married, um, we told the girls, you know, now we're going to be uh, a real family. Mm. And they sort of looked and said, well, I thought we were sort of a real family. To them, they didn't understand the marriage license, all the rest of that. And their biggest problem or concern was whether or not their mom was going to change her name. And this is, we've got a sign up in our our, um, family room that has this because after about 48 hours of them hearing that their mom was going to change their name from Furman to Schwab, Allison, God love her, she came down with a great plan. She says, we could all change our name to Schwarman. (laughs) In our family room, we've got a sign that says the Schwarmans established 2008. Um, That kind of makes me think of chicken shawarma. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Shawarma. So you guys make this leap and you think, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to blend these families. We're going to give round to our best shot. And I'm wondering what have just between the two of you, besides, you know, the kids involvement, what has been kind of the biggest challenges you guys have faced in your years together? Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, all that stuff I said that I wanted to work out and 
had thought I had worked out. I guess we didn't really have it as worked out as we thought. On top of that, then we were also working together. And we worked out of our home. We worked a lot out of our home, especially when the kids weren't there. You know, we would work all the time. So we really had a hard time separating work from life. And we, so we went from like dating and having all this fun to working all the time. And, and then kind of just that letdown of like, really, is this what we're all about? This is all we do anymore. And so we really had to just take a step back and change things and just work smarter and together more as a team and um, figure things out. So I'd say it, the first couple of years were of marriage were even a little rough. I mean, not rocky, like, okay, we made a mistake, nothing like that, but it was not, um, you know, the honeymoon was over <laughs> Put it that way. So we still had that rough patch and, and a lot of work that needed to be done. When so. you were going through that season, and trying to find the tools and the things to, to, to make it work right. What did you find? Like, what's one or two things you found that, that have really worked for you? Um, I, well, I'd say um, one was just keeping regular work hours and, and planning things for after work. Like how late are you working tonight? You're working till five. All right. I'm, you know, Tom might have a call till seven. Okay. That's fine. I'll, I know that from five to seven, you know, I'm not going to be with him. I can do whatever I want or make dinner, you know, just different things like that. So it's not like we are both uh, we used to say like we would both be at our desk just waiting for the other one to bow out first. Like I'm not going to be the first to quit. He's going to be the first to quit. <laughs> so we would just work way too long because we both wanted to probably be seen as the hardest worker. So we That's wouldn't funny. give up. I, for us, it's the it's the uh, it's the starting in the morning. Yeah. Right. The wrapping up, that's easy. The finishing for the day, that's easy for us. But the starting in the morning, like I'll be sitting here and I'll be like, okay, I'll be at the computer. I'm doing this thing. Let me know when you're ready. And like two hours later, she's sitting behind me doing something else. And I'm like, are, are we ever going to actually like, and I'm what? Like, I'm doing my thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, I'm working on something else until you uh, engage with me here. So. I'm waiting for you to engage on me. Wait, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I'm waiting for you. Oh. Oh, boy. The whole communication but, thing, isn't it? <laughs> and, to, yeah. and to me, it was also the uh, intentional communication. Yeah. Uh, I can still remember the time Karen uh, went to Panera. She brought me a ba toasted bagel and cream cheese. And she said, I need your attention for five minutes because she needed to talk to me. And she figured as long as he's eating and drinking coffee, he'll be quiet and listen. So I think from that standpoint, just that That's intentional conversation um, uh, of not just letting it happen by chance. Yes. Oh my gosh. I need to start shoving more bagels in Danielle's mouth. Um, <laughs> I'm all about it. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a minute ago, you said uh, learning to work together and everything. Was was this before interview valet? Yes. 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 So we had to work together. Correct, and that's um, uh, the original company. Uh, we worked directly together. We found out that that didn't work really well. Right. Um, uh, at the end of the day, I would rather have a bride than I would an employee. Yeah. Um, and I can remember, uh, you know, even telling her one time that, uh, you know, we've got to close down. We've got to um, call it a night. And she's like, no, one more thing. One more thing. 
Yeah. And so now um, we work together, um, but we don't report to each other. So is is this your thing together? Like yeah, the entrepreneurship journey? Yeah. You think you'll always work together? I think so. I yeah. I I can't imagine having to leave the house every day and not be able to take time off whenever I want, you know, like now if Tom is traveling, he always invites me to go. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, Yeah. but um, it's nice to have that option and that opportunity. So yeah, I, I couldn't imagine like a nine to five, 40 hour a week job yeah. somewhere else outside of my home. Now, what had you get into starting this um, podcasting business? First, podcasters getting people guests. Like, how did that, how was that born for the two of you? All businesses uh, have an interesting start, and it's usually not just off a business plan. Uh, so, our original business was an e commerce business, and we used inbound marketing uh, to attract, engage, and delight customers. And the content was always blogs. And so we built that business up, sold it. And then as I was going through this uh, sabbatical phase, I was helping some friends with their inbound marketing. And, you know, for them, writing a blog was a homework assignment, but talking was easy. So I thought, I wonder if you could use targeted podcast interviews, almost like we used to use guest blogs. So instead of writing a blog and putting it on your own site, go on Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, wherever it is put the blog there, get that no like, and trust. So we started to test it. Um, we got great results with it. Uh, people started asking for it. So we beta tested it and then it, um, uh, took it out of beta in early 2015. And every year around Memorial day, I get a little bit nervous because Karen, uh, early on in the business, she was looking to, could she get a job at one of the local universities? Um, and with that, you know, uh, more of a nine to five job, get some tuition assistance for the kids. And so I think it was like in February, uh, I asked, would you come to the business and help us out just till Memorial Day? And she said, sure, I'd love to. Well, uh, things went so well that Memorial Day came and passed. And, uh, you know, I just look at it and talked about working together. I'd have a hard time right now in saying that I'd have to ask her boss whether or not we could go away for the week. Um, or could we go on a business trip together? Um, I don't like that idea of having to ask somebody else for permission. So uh, working together really makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what sort of you, you, you both spoke to like that idea of not being tethered down. Like, <laughs> I'm wondering, how have you guys leveraged that like freedom? Like, what have you guys been able to do? Because neither one of you are beholden to the nine to five. Oh, yeah, well, it leaves lots of flexibility. I mean, there still is obviously a lot of work that needs to get done, but when you work from home, that could be at any time. So if you're up in the middle of the night, you could work in the middle of the night, you could work late at night, first thing in the morning, you know, anytime you want really. And uh, I'd say it also allows us the freedom to help out with the grandkids and we pick them up like every Wednesday. We typically leave early, like three o'clock and we have them for the evening and, you know, we can just do fun things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, just well, I, think, I think this, this yeah. spring, uh, there was a weekend that was cold and nasty, but then Monday and Tuesday were supposed to be like beautiful spring days. So I think it was like on <laughs> Friday, Karen said, um, 
why don't we just work Saturday and Sunday and then we'll take Monday and Tuesday um, and work or we'll go to Chicago and we'll call that our weekend. So we, it allowed us to do that, even yeah. to the point where we were supposed to come back Tuesday afternoon and we were just about ready to check out. And we're like, you want to stay another day? Yeah, why don't we do that? Because we were able to get the work we needed. Because to me, you know, what we do, especially work is what you do, not where you go. So yeah. uh, we can decide when the weekend is. I love yeah. that. Okay, so I'm curious about the grandparenting. Like, okay, yeah, because so, frankly, neither of you look like you're old enough to be our parents, let alone grandparents. <laughs> well, my my uh, like they're they're our age. I know, but that's crazy. So I'm my parents, are. <laughs> yeah, my parents are like I just the grandparenting that goes on like a whole nother level than what grandparents used to be like I don't know you could probably speak to this like grandparents I feel like they used to think of them as old rocking chair knitting blankets or booties or something like that making bread by hand and now it's like a whole different deal yeah yeah we aren't old but we we are definitely older than you, though. <laughs> well, well but, yeah, but apparently they run marathons all the time. So I, I, I feel like same that takes a good, I feel like that takes about 10 years off your life if yeah, you're a yeah. marathoner. Yeah. I mean, I mean, younger, not 10 years off your life. What that are you talking about? <laughs> that didn't sound right. Well, I, I would also say Karen does 5Ks but she do, does them with our granddaughter who's five years old. And uh, she did one that was a color run. Oh, and I think Charlotte was on her shoulders most of the time. Um, and uh, so different ways like that, just doing, doing fun things with the kids, um, trying to set the good example for them. We live on, like I said, six and a half acres here with a couple of miniature donkeys. So we're always outside playing, having fun, um, doing things to stay active. Okay, do the kids, are they allowed to ride the donkeys? They sit on them. <laughs> they, they sit on them, and they always ask the donkeys first. Um, but uh, they oh. also don't think we have Wi-Fi. So it's a little bit of a lie, but when they say, you know, we want to watch a movie or play our games, sorry, they don't work out here. We got to go outside and play. Oh, oh that's tricky. Okay, so what had you guys decide? Tom's really got the whole property lit up like a parking lot yeah yeah he's like there's a <laughs> cell tower in the backyard but <laughs> that. 9g service or something <laughs> like that that's true because when it is convenient it is time for a movie you know on that rainy saturday night when they're spending the oh, night oh the, the signal's cell, coming in oh the signal's coming in all of a sudden we must be getting it from the neighbor right <laughs> <laughs> so what had you guys decide to um, live the rural lifestyle have you always done that or was that a conscious decision Oh, it no, it was a conscious decision. I'd say we lived in the city and loved it. We were close to everything. We could walk anywhere we needed to go. Um, you know, snowy roads weren't an issue because it was in the city. They were plowed, all that good stuff. And um, so at one point we decided either we're going to stay in this house and remodel or we're going to move. Yeah. And then we'd say, okay, let's stay here and remodel. Well, then we wouldn't do anything and another year would go by. And finally, it's like I, I, I was watching houses online and I found this one and said, oh, this is cool. We should go look at it. So we did and fell in love with it and ended up getting it really, really fast, which was great. 
But um, after we moved and we had to get rid of our old house, we still had to do some remodeling just to sell it. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like, great. So we did both. <laughs> we bought a new house and we ended up remodeling. So um, it was it was an exciting time to move here just because it was such a, a difference. It's so dark and quiet, and, you know, versus the city life. And um, yeah, we how did you here. decide to get miniature donkeys? Yeah, where where did the because I don't feel like I don't feel like that passes come from. I don't feel like that's a natural next step for most people. <laughs> right. Well, all because Tom said no to a huge in-ground pool and a pool house. <laughs> That'll teach you, Tom. Right. You know, I have friends who have miniature donkeys and uh, they told me about them. I'm like, well, what does that even look like? And they showed me pictures and told me all about them. So they're like big, lovable dogs. They're great. And um, yeah, the, the previous owners that lived in this house had uh, acre um, paddock for a horse that they had. So we had that space and it was fenced in and all of that. And my original idea was let's just put in the pool in the pool house. And we'll call it good. And Tom said, no, we're not going to do that. That's We don't need a pool in Michigan. <laughs> so in, instead, we uh, one Sunday morning after church, we went to just look at the miniature donkeys. Sure. And so it was uh, uh, Karen and I, the three girls, and our granddaughter. Uh, by the time I got down there, I realized we were buying one. How much does one cost? And he smiley goes, no, these are... These are social animals. You got to buy him two at a time. And I'm like, okay, so how many do two cost? And he told me, um, and uh, I said, does that include delivery? (laughs) We just brought the minivan. Do they fit in the minivan? That's what I want to know. Do I have to seatbelt them in? Oh, are they really lovable? I always think of donkeys as being a little antisocial. So when you said they're like lovable dogs, I was like, uh, that's not really the press on the street about donkeys. And they are. We, and if you sit down there, they would come up to you slowly because they're, they're cautious. Next thing you know, you'd have Frodo's head on one shoulder and you'd have Sam's <laughs> head on the other shoulder and then you'd be petting them. Wait, what was the second one's name? Sam, Frodo and Sam. Aww. I love it. I love and then, it. And then you would try stopping <laughs> to uh, pet them and stand up, and they would take their heads and push you back down. <laughs> yeah, we, we like this, and uh, it's just they're, they're wonderful creatures. That's oh awesome. Oh, my gosh. I, I had a – okay. Should I do this? This might be a TMI moment, but it we went. Probably is. But we when went, has that stopped us? Went, we went camping one time and they had these little donkeys that what? were just like, I don't know, it was kind of like a petting zoo type of situation, but it was at a campsite and there was actually a sign that said, don't pet the donkeys. But I was like, it was a very confusing place. Um, but this was the first time that Allie experienced the uh, male-female relations between oh, donkeys. Yes. And she was about two years old. And she was very confused as to what was going on there. And we were like, this campsite is weird. We're definitely never going back here. Where was this? It was actually in Indiana. Oh, that That, yeah, that yeah, KOA yeah. campground. Yeah, so you can, you can visit. We have a family-friendly donkeys now, uh, but until Frodo was fixed, uh, yeah, they the only time they got amorous uh, would be when there were little kids there, and uh, 
it, there was something about that's it. That's like, disturbing in itself. Why do they get right Amherst now? when there's only little kids around? <laughs> it seemed like every time we had company and we took them out there to see the donkeys, they would just start doing their thing. Yeah. And the kids it's like they're like, putting on a show or something. That's yes. like their show. Oh, hey, my. look, an audience. Yes. <laughs> Do it. Roar, roar. Okay. So you get, oh my gosh. Okay. We need to, we're getting way too derailed here. Okay. Ooh, so Tom and Karen, tell us a little bit about um, how our audience can find you guys and what you're doing with Interview Valet. Yeah. Yeah. So Interview Valet, it's just uh, a podcast interview marketing service. We help authors, coaches, speakers, uh, brands get on podcasts that their ideal customers are already listening to. Um, we really work with them to move people from being just a passive listener to an active visitor and an engaged lead. And uh, if you'd like any information, just go to interviewvalet.com forward slash legendary, and we'll put all the information there. Uh, put all our social media there. I tell you what, we will put pictures of the donkeys. So if you want to see what Frodo and Sam look like giving um, uh, hugs, giving hugs uh, then just, just the go, hugs ones. Please, just the hugs Tom, one. Yes. Please, I was like, we're not Tom, going there. Only the hugs. <laughs> but uh, there's a there's a checklist uh, for um, uh, if you're doing a podcast interview. I wrote a book. I give that away. Uh, we'll put all of that right there at interviewvalet.com forward slash legendary. Oh, my gosh, awesome. you guys. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This was fun. I love how Tom shared about his, uh, what he learned coming back from the military, integrating back into his family mm, and yeah. just all those times that he said, like he wasn't quite living up to the dad or the husband that he wanted to be. And so he was changing this this time around with his family, with Karen. So I was just wondering, like, even though we're not on a second marriage, yeah, what wisdom could we learn from ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> from the first well, half of our marriage. It's a great point because you, you don't have to be on going into a second marriage or a third marriage or a 27th marriage to look back and see where have I been responsible for, how the relationship has developed and what's led us here. Yeah. And what, what lessons can I learn from it? Yeah. Like that, that's the beauty is every day you have a new opportunity to look back and go, Hey, what can we do better? Mm -hmm. How can I show up and be more of, of who I really am, my best self, because that's what you want. Mm -hmm. That's what we want of each other is the best version. Like that's what we fell in love with. Sure. So, uh, we can look at that and really begin to renew, rekindle, reignite a, a marriage or relationship at any time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be bordering on divorce or anything yeah. like that. So here is the conversation starter this week. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. All right, here we go. <laughs> It took everything out of me to do that. Uh, maybe you should just <laughs> dial the cheese down like 10%. And Never. If you were to start married life over, what wisdom would you share with yourself? Ooh. Have that conversation with your spouse. Mm, yeah. You got a lot That's of wisdom in there. You just got to tap into it. 
That's a good one. All right. That's it for... Today's show. That's right. What's one thing that stood out to you from today's show? Let us know over in the free Legendary Marriage community on Facebook. We're talking about that and all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more over there. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can even make fun of us and our voices and how crazy we sound this week. <laughs> you can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 137. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing, but more so that other couples can find us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Hey, this is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.